Oh my lord, I think we did it. Welcome to the Rec Poker Podcast Chats Edition. It's Jim Reed and I'm filling in for his friendly Steve Fredlin today. But we are joined by the panel as always. I'd like to thank uh, Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino, Learn Pro Poker and Website Amp for making this happen. We're going to get down to business with Chris Wallace in just a minute. But first I want to welcome the panel. Again, I'm Jim Reed, Bluffsterini in the home games and at Jim uh, in the forums. Uh, Chris or Andrew, <laughs> take us off. I'm Andrew Feist. Uh, I'm dealer412 in the home game uh, at Andrew on the forums. And uh, John Samsky is always one step ahead. Uh, and I'm Chris Jones. I'm 5x5 five five on both Twitter and PokerStars. Uh, just reminding you that sometimes you got to fold top pair. I don't tell and, people that. <laughs> and I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Radman50 on PokerStars and Twitter. And in the interest of getting good at your mental game, you should let go and make yourself empty and quiet, clear and calm. That's a saying from Zen Master Ying An. And I'm John Somsky, Poker Geek MN everywhere. And I have a quote from Al Alvarez. He says, serious poker is no more about gambling than rock climbing is about taking risks. Mm -hmm. That's right. I love that. Bringing some knowledge today. Uh, just before we get into the interview, a couple of things I just wanted to let everybody know about. Um, the Steelers are doing very well this year. And also, uh, we're changing the schedule over at rec.poker a little bit. So uh, pay close attention to the events calendar. Uh, we're going to be making some changes just to streamline it, get more community events happening. And so take, take a peek at that events calendar. <laughs> Andrew's got the Green Bay Packers up as well. What a friendly crew. So Chris Fox Wallace, longtime friend of the show, uh, a, a local poker great and beyond. Um, we're excited to have him back. We're talking about the short stack ninja among some other uh, irons in the fire. And Rob has picked Short Stack Ninja to be the next book that we're going to be looking at in the book uh, study. So, Chris, oh, and some of our guys already are way ahead of us. I love hey, to see that. I'm with you. Yeah, nice. <laughs> nice. The recreational poker players doesn't mean we don't take it seriously. So, uh, Chris, why don't you tell us just a little bit about what made you decide to bring this book to the fore? What was it about this subject in particular and uh, why everyone should go out and buy it? I love to quantify things. I spent part of the day figuring out if Zimmer was right in going for it on fourth and one instead of kicking the field goal. I have a spreadsheet full of information about it. So uh, that's, that's kind of what I do. And um, I've done some of that with all kinds of weird things like poker psychology and other things, but really the easiest thing to quantify in poker is short stack play. That, that's math we can handle and wrap our heads around. I can solve most of it with an equity calculator and a spreadsheet. So um, I did that, I don't know, 15 years or more ago with 20 big blinds or less came up with Nash solutions to most of that stuff and put that information out on the internet. And I'm, I know that I'm not the only person who had that information. It wasn't all that hard to figure out, but uh, I do know that when the Russian short stack farms started up in Russia and they, and they um, took over full tilt and there were short stackers everywhere and it was a disaster. It ruined, I ruined my own games because I saw a picture from the inside of one of those short stack farms, 60 computers, 
in a big warehouse and my charts were up on the wall next to the computers. And I, so, so, so sorry about that. Um, oh, so you're the one we all have to blame yeah, for that. Somsky has the 10 big blind push fold chart there, the laminated version we That's sent great. out. Yep. And then I put out uh, pushfoldcharts.com and then that became a huge thing. And um, Max Silver told me on TV that uh, it was an inspiration for him building Snapshove. So I've caused all kinds of trouble now. Now everybody's using Snapshove. And, um, and I had all these notes in, in my phone. Every time I have a bad night at the poker table, I start making notes to write another book or looking for jobs or doing, like, trying to figure out something because I'm so mad at poker. So I just sit there and grind it out and, and do things on my phone to figure out what I'm going to do next. And um, in those moments when I think, okay, I'm terrible at poker and I'm never going to win at this again. And I've had enough of those over the years that I had most of a book put together. So uh, when COVID came around and the poker rooms were closed, I decided to put this book together. So um, I'm doing a ton of writing. Uh, I got, went and got a couple of editing certificates and some knowledge and um, I'm not just a guy who writes now. I've kind of acquired real skills and, um, and then put the book together and it didn't take long because I had almost everything saved in various Google docs and, these weapons that I'd picked up over the years and learned how to, how to calculate these things from stack to pot ratios and figure out which things worked. Uh, I've been teaching them to students forever. So uh, it was time to just put the book out and, and I've learned a lot about self-publishing worked with a couple of self-publishing companies, recent uh, publishing companies recently helping them tune up their Amazon listings and things. And so it was a, it was really just, I have to do this thing. It's, it's the right time for it. And we've got uh, Chris Jones is involved in the publishing industry. And uh, uh, we were we were actually just, uh, Rob was uh, leading our previous book study uh, with Matt Matros's game plan. And he talks about some short stack stuff in there. And I wonder if um, when, when, you're, when you're putting this together, uh, a lot of it is going to be range based in, in, in how you approach these spots pre-flop. Um, talk a little bit about some of the other ways that you can exploit people with short stacks or when you have a short stack yourself or something like that. Well, everything should be range based, right? Yes. We should never be, we're never playing in the dark. Um, even if you're just playing GTO solutions and using a solver, you still are, are looking at potential ranges because not everybody is that good. Um, so I, what I tried to do was put everything into pretty simple terms. If you have this many big blinds, these are the weapons you use and these are when you use them. And that's when I talk about ranges. You use, you don't re-steal against the tight under the gun razor and the John Deere hat who's 106 years old and has a cup of coffee in front of him because you never, he's never going to fold, right? And, but if it's a 22 year old Swedish kid on, who's on the button, with a three bet hoodie on, then you just re-steal just with any two and you got 14 big blinds. He doesn't have anything. So ranges still matter, but those knowing which weapons you have to use are, that's what I thought was really the, the value in the book. Yeah. I love that. I, I'm always thinking about different plays as kind of candidates that are available, like, like tools in the toolbox that you can yeah. choose really different like tools. Book, that's how you think. Oh yeah. I haven't even, I haven't even cracked it. I've given myself until, um, our first session to really get into it. But um, that is the way. And like, not every tool can be used in every circumstance, right? You wouldn't use a screwdriver when a hammer was more appropriate. So you don't bluff three bet when a, you know, just a linear value three bet is a better pick there. Um, so I, I can't wait. I can't wait to get into it. 
Rob, did you, you want to certainly don't bluff three bet when you have 20 big blinds, right? right. You, just, you just light money on fire. And that's one of the things in the book is like in that zone, you just can't use that play. Yeah. I think one thing we found that was kind of cool about it is that uh, we finished with the game plan with Matt Matros. And the last session that we did was short stack and his short stack was zero to 25 big blinds. You shove or fold period. That's pretty mm -hmm. much the whole thing. And I, then you take yours, the short stack ninja, and you get into the, you break it down into, like that's four different zones there between um, zero to 25 or 30 big blinds. So I, I think it, it'll, it'll take that and take us to the next level, which is what I'm excited about uh, doing with this book. Yeah, that leaves you awful tight at 22 big blinds, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not very many hands you can shove in that range. Well, he's got a pretty good, he's got a pretty wide range on there. Keep in mind that the, the object of that book was to give a, a recreational or a casual player the tools to compete against uh, more accomplished poker players uh, in a bigger size tournament. So he's trying to create a, a simple GTO system kind of thing where, yes, yeah, that's interesting. I've seen, yeah. uh, I know Sklansky did that once. He, he put out <laughs> kind of a, here's, here's a way you can play poker if you don't know anything about poker in a tournament. Yeah. And that's, we kind of use that as a, some of example, John Somsky and I talk about that a little bit in our, in the book study about what Sklansky did. So. That'll help Somsky's game for sure. <laughs> well, what couldn't help my game? I mean, other than not playing at all, right? Uh, anything could help it. But it was kind of interesting in that it was, that one was, it wasn't as bad as Sklansky's approach. Not that Sklansky's approach was bad, but this fits more into actually playing good poker. It's like baby steps towards playing good poker. So, when you start to actually learn more things that go into it, you can expand the repertoire a little bit more easily than, you know, Sklansky's shove with aces, queens, or kings, or, you know, when he modified right. that a little bit more. It's going to be a great book study book because I, you know, my writing mentors, I have a couple of friends who are best-selling authors and they, and they just always stress to be concise, 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 say it in less words. Right. So, so I may even go too far with that at times in some of my writing, but uh, better to err on that side than be too wordy. And so the book only ended up at 108 pages and I covered a lot, but I didn't expand on it very much. I didn't expand on a lot of things. I honestly just got to the point where I didn't want to look at it anymore and didn't want to add anything to it and, and screw it up. I thought this was really good. I'll put it out now, but that leaves a lot to study, a lot to talk about, because I haven't laid it all out there for you. You can, you can look at these zones and why I, you know, why I like them, why I like the weapons that I do and spend hours talking about them and expanding on them because I didn't do that much of that. So you're saying you left plenty of room for us to screw it up. Absolutely. Well, thank you. you. <laughs> yeah. He's not making the same mistake he made back in the day. <laughs> well, no, I, I am excited about that. And I think uh, um, one of the things that's great about it is it, it takes sort of like a, a refined look at some of those different ranges. Like we were talking about a more nuanced approach to that. And, and so is there one thing looking at poker today? Cause I know you still get a chance to play and you still love the game. Um, is there, is there a, Mm. Something that should, yeah. is there something that uh, 
recreational players who are in that, you know, 20 to 25 big blind range? Is there something that you feel like they consistently do wrong or something that they could look to immediately uh, change their game or improve their play? I think the zero to five big blinds chapter is going to change the way everybody plays that range. That is the, that is where people make huge mistakes. Um, most people know about push fold and most people have seen a push fold chart. Skomsky has one on his desk. Um, most people know about resteals these days. And I've made videos about resteals for five different poker training sites, including the learn WPT site, which, you know, who knows half a million people might've seen those. And I've actually been at tables with people who talk about my resteal podcasts from poker X factor from 12 years ago, including one who, uh, at Canterbury in like one of the major events, there was a kid three to my left re-stealing and he, it was really irritating me. And I pointed it out to the table a couple times, just that he was shipping really wide because I wanted somebody to call him because whether they double him up or bust him, he's out of the re-steal zone and he's not bothering me anymore. So the next night when I get home, uh, there's a message for me on the pocket fives forums that says, Hey, I'm the kid who was re-stealing on you. I just wanted to let you know, that I knew what you were doing. I wasn't mad at you. And I was listening to your re-steal podcasts while I was doing it. And I saw him the next day, we both bagged for day two. And I saw him the next day and he pulled out his iPod and showed me a, a whole list of my re-steal podcasts that he was listening to while I was doing it. So that information is, is out there. I, I talk a little bit about it in ways other people haven't maybe, and I try to present it very clearly, but that information is out there. And even the 20 to 30 big blind range, a lot of people know that you can't three bet fold below 25 big blinds. They know some of those kinds of things, but the zero to five big blinds range, most people are playing terribly. Most people just wait for a hand and pile it in. That's, that's the easy default way to play that range. And it's absolutely the wrong way to play that range. It's almost the opposite of the right way to play that range. So I think that's the one that's really going to catch people's attention. And it makes poker a lot more interesting when you get down to four big blinds, because you're not just like, Oh, great. Now I'm just going to push or go home and, you, and you're irritated. Now with the way that I've talked about how to play that range and the weapons that are available there, um, you're paying constant attention to the table. You're looking at everyone around you. What are the stacks to my left going to do? How can I set up this thing or that thing? And th that's going to change things a lot. I can't wait. I can't wait to get into it. And I know you've so talked about how dense the book itself is, and we're going to put it through our book study. Are there other uh, places out there that are going through it as well that people can uh, get a little more explanation or get unpack it in a little more detail? Um, there are a couple of other book study groups looking at it. I don't know if they're posting anything publicly, really. Cool. Uh, well, if uh, we can put some links up in the show notes or something, if, uh, if yeah, if uh, anything comes, if if uh, those groups post anything publicly, I will do that. I just did a talk about the book uh, to the Ricardo's study group here in Las Vegas, and um, I know there's another uh, like a meetup group in Minnesota doing it as well. So I'll tell those guys that I've done this, and maybe they'll be interested in coming and listening to the podcast. Sweet. And then I really expanded on a lot of these ideas in the red, the, the red chip poker core 2.0 course that I did um, where I, I talk about all the zones, including up to 200 big blinds in that series of videos. And that's 22 videos. So I had a lot of time and red chip gave me real freedom to do kind of whatever I want. So that expands on a lot of the ideas in different ways. So uh, people who don't learn well from reading and there are lots of those people out there can learn it that way. 
Well, we love Red Chip here, so um, I hope people go and check that out if they're looking for uh, a more robust uh, exploration of it. Chris, Red Chip to- did a great job. They just called me and said, what do you want to do? We, like, we want tournament training for Core 2.0. What do you think you want to do? And I said, here's what I've always wanted to do. I want to, I want to create a simulated tournament from the first hand to winning it. And I want to use that to teach all the different stack sizes and how to play. I want to do a pro, opponent profiling where all the way through you're watching me play a tournament and I'm playing this hand against Old Man Coffee, so he has this range. I'm playing this hand against a backpack, so he has this range. And that's what I want to do. I want to create a, a, like a visual that looks like an online poker tournament. And I want it to be a live poker tournament structure. And I want to tell people, you know, and they said, great, we'll pay you to do that. So they kind of let me do exactly what I've been wanting to do for a long time. And it turned out great. And I've never gotten such positive feedback. I, I, I don't make any more money if somebody watches it now. So I don't, I don't have any reason to promote it. But, but the fact is the, the feedback has been amazing compared to all the other training stuff that I've been a part of. You know, I, I was going to um, jump in and ask a little bit about, I, I'm, I'm waiting for the book to arrive, so I haven't, I haven't started it yet, but I have, uh, um, I'm wondering if it covers uh, multi-way spots. Um, and I, I'm asking this because I hear from a lot of our members and um, people sort of like, yeah, I know how to, I know about push fold charts. I know like, you know, like what I do when I, you know, whatever, I'm in this spot and I have ace jack suited, but what do I do when, uh, somebody jumps in the middle of this and like it sort of screws up everything I've been planning. And I'm wondering if you, if you talk about multi-way spots or if you have any advice for people when they're short stacked um, and they're facing multi-way spots, whether that's uh, an open and a call or an open and a shove. And then, you know, like we've got a marginal hand that we're sort of like, what do I do here? Like what, what, what kind of thoughts do you have for, for that kind of situation? I'm hoping the book teaches people how to think about those kinds of situations. Uh, the zero to five big blinds section, which is the, the beginning, um, talks a lot about multi-way. It's almost all about multi-way because that's where the money is in that in that zone, right? You want like a raise and two callers so you can re-raise and the original raiser can blow the callers out and you can be heads up getting four to one on your money, that kind of situation. Or, you know, there's, there's uh, three limps and you can raise because you know that there's a re-steal stack behind you. So you ship in your four big blinds and he re-steals because he knows that's smart, that implied collusion thing that goes on and blows everybody out. So that it's the book starts off talking about mostly multi-way situations and how to create those. And one of the things that I would expand on if I wanted to do kind of a, an expanded version would be to take those concepts and apply them more clearly, do more hand examples and situations in the, in the bigger stacks, right? In the push fold zone, you have lots of, uh, of options. If there's like a couple limpers and you can shove eight big blinds and maybe steal, um, you can also use the same concept. If there's like a raise and two callers and you can shove nine big blinds instead of four, if you've got the right hand in the right situation so that the concept applies everywhere. They don't cover a lot of multi-way situations in the bigger stack sizes, but I'm hoping that people apply those same concepts from the, you know, from the first chapter to those later situations. If you have a re-steal stack and there's a raise from the cutoff and a call on the button, that's a better re-steal spot than it was if the button didn't call. 
it just gets better. And so that understanding the stack to pot ratio and what weapon, where you have the different weapons based on what's in the pot is really important. And, and I think I could have written a lot more about that whole concept and how to use it in every stack size. That's great. We, we talk all the time about sort of learning about poker, not about learning spots, you know, really just kind of thinking about the reasons why certain things are profitable or not profitable and how that really arms you in these other circumstances where, you know, we're not solving that spot, but now you know the factors to be thinking about when you're in that position. So I think that's really valuable. Absolutely. That's the key because there's too many spots. You can't memorize all of them. Right. And that wouldn't be fun. <laughs> we don't we don't like poker because it's the thing you get to memorize a bunch of solutions to. We like playing poker, right? And that's about making good decisions in the moment, better decisions than your opponents, giving them tough decisions. So yeah, that's right. I you love guys that. like poker. <laughs> that's right. Recreational players. We still enjoy the game. I'm jealous. <laughs> you said that like you don't enjoy poker, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I think I will like it when it comes back and I can safely play again. But there, uh, it certainly doesn't – doing it for a living and having to win and having to pay the bills uh, certainly has taken some of the fun out of the game for me. You know, I I really missed walking into the World Series this year, hearing the music and the whole thing. I mean, I, I and seeing all my friends, that's Poker Family Reunion every year, you know. Meet me at the hookah bar for a beer. Like night after night, people I haven't seen in a year. I missed some of that stuff when I was away from it for a while. But, um, you know, a year, two, three years ago, I was pretty tired of playing poker for a living and looking for other things to do. It's definitely not the same. And so um, I think I'm ready to do something else and become a recreational player at some time soon. And then I think I'll really enjoy it. I think it'll be really fun. When I can go to the poker table and have three beers and not care, right? It'd be fun. (laughs) Looking forward to that. Yeah, you've had a lot of, uh, you've got your hands in a lot of different things in the last few years. You know, the Eye Ninja Poker, the Next Level Poker, you're doing a lot of training, a lot of all that sort of thing. Now, during this COVID, this whole COVID thing, how does that, how does your life look today? I mean, what are you doing? You just published a book, obviously, but what kinds of activities are you concentrating on now that you can't go and play that live poker? I'm playing some online. We have WSOP.com here. Yeah. I don't trust a lot of the other options for playing poker right now. I think there's some things are going to go sideways there. Um, and I'm writing a ton. I'm doing some editing. I'm working, you know, I just edited a book for a couple of best selling authors that they wrote together that'll come out soon and that'll be good for my editing resume. Um, I'm doing some freelance writing. I'm actually working on a, uh, those of you who are friends with me on Facebook are probably tired of hearing about politics, but I write about politics quite a lot. And I decided to get serious about that. So I'm creating a website where I do like a political blog. I'm working with a friend from Minnesota on a, a, a comedy podcast. I've got, I've always got things in the fire. Uh, the comedy podcast has been a lot of fun so far. We'll see if that actually goes anywhere. Well, you got to pump it here. How do people follow the comedy podcast? Tell us. We don't know yet. That's, <laughs> I should have, uh, I should have bought a domain this morning, <laughs> but you can, um, Chris Maddock is my friend. I've known Chris for 25 years and um, he's been, uh, he was like the city pages comedian of the year a few years ago or something. And he's, he's done a ton of stuff and he just came out with an album called country music legend, which is a comedy album. And it went to like number five on the iTunes comedy chart. And it's really good. And he's the guy that I'm doing it with. 
So if you follow either of us on Twitter or Facebook, you'll hear about it as soon as we get around to making it happen. Nice. I can't wait. I'm a, I love stand-up comedy. I've always been a big stand-up comedy fan. And uh, the art of it is something that always interests me. Um, it's a technical, it's a technical field. Like there's a lot of uh, science to it as well, but like there's that one of those mixes of art and science where you have to get a lot of fundamentals, right. And you got to play the room. Uh, I imagine your experience yeah. as a poker player will uh, help with that. I hope so. It, it, luckily just doing the podcast, I don't have to interact with an audience. Oh, I, I've, I've always thought stand up would be, would be really fun, but I know, I know that you bomb a lot before you get any good at it. That sounds like a rough start. But I, I do have a number of friends in stand-up comedy and, and they do things like filming the audience while they're, while they're doing these things. And I, when I hear about what goes into like a serious one-hour HBO comedy special or a Netflix special, holy cow, they spend a year on the road and they're watching film every night like a football team to see how people responded and they're planning out their jokes for the next day. I'll make this change in this and then I'll, and I'll a B the two and I'll see how people react. And they do that for a year to get this set together. It's amazing. And then sometimes they record it four times and pick the best one. It's, it's a ton of work. I'm not, I, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Yeah. It's a hard way to make an easy living, right? It's just like poker. People look at it and like, Oh, how much fun that would be. And like, okay, do it for a couple of years and then we'll talk. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, on, on, yeah, go ahead. That's kind of what I've always done too. What I just pick the hardest way to make a living, and then I'm, right. that's, that's what I do. <laughs> uh, well, you might have uh, continued that trend with uh, publishing. You said you'd sort of learned a couple lessons about publishing. Or is there anything that you can share with the group about either the process of writing the book or bringing it to market, or how, how much longer editing takes than you thought it would? That kind of stuff. Editing was not a big problem. Um, I write pretty clean copy because I wrote for magazines for so long that I would send it in send my copy into the magazine. And then when the magazine came out, I would see how the, my editor changed it and compare it to what I sent in. And by the, you know, after five or six years of that, I would send them stuff they just printed. And now they love me. Uh, now when I write for Card Player Lifestyle with Robbie Straczynski and when I send him stuff, he, he changes like a few words here and there, but otherwise I just, it, it goes to print. So the editing wasn't hard and I let it sit for like two weeks so that I could go edit it with a fresh brain and and uh, that wasn't a big deal i had a couple of friends from minnesota who were who are part of a poker um home game that my fiance plays that are both sharp writers and and good poker players who agreed to do kind of beta read for me and sent some suggestions but the editing wasn't a big deal uh now that i know how to do publishing and i've worked for some self-publishing companies and now that i know how to do it that wasn't hard i had an issue with my cover uh, for the physical book. And I hired a guy on Fiverr to fix it for $10. Um, it, it was really, it's really a pretty easy process. Getting sales is a totally different thing that nobody's making money with poker books right now. Al Schoonmaker is a good friend of mine and he's published, I don't know, 10 books or something. And he said, he's just done publishing books because they don't make any money. They just, and like, he's, he, this guy's a PhD from Berkeley who's been teaching poker psychology. He's the poker psychology guy for years. And nobody's buying his books because nobody's buying any books. You know, Greg, I talked to Greg Raymer about the book and because he came out with a book a little over a year ago and his books aren't selling what he, anywhere close to what he thought they would sell either. The market just isn't there anymore. Everybody already has a shelf full of poker books and thinks they're really good now. So, 
Um, and, and do you think that's something that's sort of spilling across all genres? Is, is it a poker problem? Is it just a people aren't reading books problem? In, in poker, is it because people are turning to more videos or, or something like that? Do you, do you have any takes on that? It's mostly a poker problem. Uh, the publishing world and the self-publishing world are both doing very well. Um, Amazon will continue to squeeze money out of authors. Uh, in a number of markets, I, I had an erotica publishing company pay me to do some research for them recently. And th that market on Amazon, Amazon is a disaster. Like three quarters of the things in any given subject are not related to that subject in any way. The books, they, they'll pack 4,000 4, pages into a book. And then uh, I am absolutely certain there are farms of people who's, who, or possibly programs whose job it is to just flip through pages on a Kindle because there are absolutely unreadable books of 4,000 pages who have, that have zero reviews and are number two in the world in various erotica categories. And you see some of that in other categories as well. If you go look for cookbooks and you find things that just aren't even related to cooking at all in the top 100 somehow. Uh, and they keep taking more money from authors. You know, they've, they've set it up in a way that you can't reach the top easily if you don't spend a lot of money on advertising which means you have to be part of Kindle Unlimited to get to the top 100. And if you're part of Kindle Unlimited, you're making them a bunch of money uh, and you're exclusive. You have to be exclusive to Amazon. So basically the biggest market in the world, if you want to have a bestseller there, you have to be exclusive to that market. And as more and more people are exclusive to that market, Amazon does has to pay less and less because you have to be with us. So we don't have to pay you much. So, um, and they don't care that Kindle Unlimited pool, they just take a chunk of it. They don't care whether it's going to me because people are actually reading my book or whether it's going to the guy who wrote the 4,000 page book that's just being flipped through by a computer to get those page reads. So um, something will break on that eventually. There's uh, a lot going on there, but Amazon may not care for a long time. And, and Amazon is the self-publishing world right now. I mean, I, I don't love them for publishing, but they're, they were the only reasonable option for doing what I did. And the Kindle Unlimited page reads are like 25% of my income probably, and I expected them to actually be more. So I really can't go wide with it because I'm not going to get 25% more sales on other markets. People are all on Amazon. So, but the traditional publishing world has survived a lot better than I think we expected. They've adapted and they're smart people. The, you know, the New York publishers have changed some of the way they do things. They've cut their expenses a lot. They don't have big offices on, on, in Manhattan anymore. Um, their editors work from home and work remote from other places in the country where they don't have to pay them $150,000 a year. You know, if, if you got an editor in Nebraska, you can pay him 60 grand a year and he lives very well. If, you got, if he's in Manhattan, if you pay him 60 grand, he has to live in his car. So um, they've definitely adapted and, and the people are reading a ton of books still. Um, the biggest, the biggest market right now is romance and there are more romance novels selling now than any genre has ever sold in history. And, and a ton of other genre thrillers and sci-fi and a bunch of stuff is doing really well. Well, it makes sense. People are home. You know, they're, they're not, I, I know I'm a big audiobooks podcast listener and my commute has basically dropped off since February, 2020. So I am so far behind. Like I, I'm going to have to give up on a ton of the stuff that I claimed that I used to listen to regularly. And uh, I'm sure people are picking that up at home 
with books, reading, you know, like that. I remember when I used to read. Um, that, that sounds like fun. <laughs> Get yeah. back into that. Did, did you forget how? I, uh... I oh, maybe a little, maybe a little. I think my reading comprehension is still slightly above my audio cue skills. So we'll see. You um, can so, find tons of tutorials on YouTube about. <laughs> it's uh, A, B, and then C, right? We're we're getting D and E up in Canada soon, but you can spell most of Canada with just C and A. So it's. Uh, Oh, so, perfect. Yeah, no, we're really looking forward to that. Well, if you, you know, well, will you still read it when you sound the word out? Will you still read it as process? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into this border battle and start ripping each other to shreds, uh, so what's next for you then, uh, uh, Chris? What, what, what? Now that this book is out there, and I have um, no idea. I'm, I'm gonna drink by the pool for a while. Nice. Uh, yes, sir. I have. Uh, one novel drafted and another one in process. Really, really, I have two almost drafted and another one that I'm working on. Um, I have a, I'm editing and compiling an anthology with, um, I don't know if I'm supposed to say who the names are anyway. Breaking uh, news. But, but um, a, a bunch of famous fantasy and sci-fi authors, including uh, one who used to play professional sports in Minnesota, uh, and we're we're creating an anthology of stories about the day that the dragons came back, and uh, so I'm editing a bunch of that stuff this week. Uh, really trying to get my foot in the door as a fiction writer. I've got a sitcom pilot that I've written. I've got all kinds of things going on, and I really just want to be a fiction writer. So we'll see if that, how long that takes to happen. Well, that's exciting. I, I was a huge fantasy and science fiction nerd growing up, and I know Rob uh, also is a big fantasy fan. So um, I can't wait to uh, hear how that develops, and uh, I'm excited to see how that grows. Do either, you, either of you guys know of Stephen Bruce? Bruce, I don't. I do not. Oh, man. Here I thought we were covering all our B-R-U-S-T, Stephen Bruce. All right. Uh, I'm Steve, looking at him. Steve is a, a good friend of mine for a long time, and uh, – He's the guy that I'm doing the anthology with, with the dragons. Yeah. And uh, we're also talking about starting a book together here pretty soon. Steve is a best a best-selling fantasy sci-fi author from Minnesota who lives in Minneapolis um, yeah. and is a poker player. And we've been trading uh, writing lessons for poker lessons for <laughs> 15 years at least now. So his poker game has improved some and my writing has improved a lot. I think he's a better teacher than I am. Wow. Or a student than I am one of the <laughs> Well, I, I literally, we, we're going to have to have you back on for that um, because I am just personally, I'm super excited about that whole concept. So I can't wait to uh, pick your brain about what that looks like and the role that science fiction and fantasy writing has taken to, to bring you to that. So we, we won't do it today, but um, so we'll say we'll get a date together so you can save the date. Cause I can't, I can't wait to unpack that. Yeah. Well, so where can people reach you? What's your, where can they reach you on Twitter? How do you like people to get in touch? And uh, Twitter's as easy as, as anything, at FoxPokerFox on Twitter or BlindStraddle at gmail.com. Um, those, those are the spots. I sold my blog. Uh, somebody offered me too much money for the domain, so Can't I sold argue with it. That. I, haven't gotten, I haven't gotten around to putting another one together yet. That's kind of been my experience with owning domain names and developing websites is that eventually someone offers you too much money for them. 
I think you're doing it right then. I've heard other people that the, the termination point is slightly different from yours, but that sounds like a good way to do it. <laughs> well, the key is to just keep them until someone does. There right. is some, you know, I used to own a lot of domains. Now I just own a few, but um, if you, if you just have some use for them, eventually, especially the more you like them, the more someone will be likely to buy them. So you can't have them anymore. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, we're going to continue on talking about the website and some upcoming events. So feel free to stick around for that, but you're welcome to jump off here. And uh, thank you so much for coming and sharing this time with us, Chris. I'm looking Excellent. forward to our next one. I will stick around and listen. Oh, perfect. Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot, Fox. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to the book study that we're about to get into with your book. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to lead us down a lot of what we call rabbit holes as we start <laughs> discussing all of the uh, different uh, ways that we can improve our uh, short stack game. So it well, be thanks fun. for having me. I look forward to doing a little Q and A once it's done. Yeah, that's be great. I was part of your crazy like a fox, so I'm really really interested in seeing uh, how much of uh, that that you wanted to put into a book you got to. So uh, definitely some of it. Yeah, you'll definitely recognize some things from that. Well, so a few things that are coming up. Uh, we are starting the, we talked about starting the course at rec.poker. We're actually going it, to, the same idea, but we're calling it the focus. Um, Ed Miller, call off your dogs. Ed, Mil Ed Miller's lawyers have been beaten down the door. We get it, okay? You're a big guy, fine. Um, so we're going to, no, just kidding, of course. Ed's a perfect gentleman. I doubt he were even on his radar for that. But we thought out of an abundance of caution and respect, we would switch it to the focus. And we will be focusing on different things from time to time. But on the second Wednesday of every month now, you can uh, premium members can come out and uh, focus with us on a different part of poker. Um, we're starting at the beginning with pre-flop ranges, everything to do with opening ranges, calling ranges, three bet ranges, even limping ranges. Uh, so Chris is going to be leading that and I'm looking forward to participating in that myself because I'm, I'm a range nerd and I know that uh, Chris Wallace agrees how important those uh, ranges are. And if you do want to check out uh, that red chip uh, course that they're offering on Chris's new book, go to rec.poker slash resources and you can find a link there to connect through uh, to the wonderful offerings at red chip and they're they're They know what they're doing there. And James is a, a friend of the show here. So we're not going to lead you astray. You can go take advantage of that. Um, well, I think John, why don't you take us into some uh, recent home game results? That sounds good. Well, of course we just had our, no Limit Hold'em series. That's the one that we keep the points for the year. And uh, Marble Jams, Jeffrey Kupferberg uh, won his very first No Limit Hold'em series on October 7th. Way to go. I see him. I see Marble's Jam in there all the time. So I'm glad he got a chance to pull one out. And one of the monthlies. That's a big one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then we have for our nightlies. We had Cows2902, Kurt, won his first nightly. Jbox71, John Bachhuber, won his second nightly. Gopher Boy, Boy TJM, Taylor Moss, won his third nightly. And that one was when he was uh, recording it for Twitch. Oh, yeah. I believe that, that, he, that you can watch that Twitch replay. Uh, I think he's posted that somewhere. So if you're interested, you could watch him go from beginning to end and see how he actually won that one. Then on October 9th, we had Megra 44, Doug Drabeck won an impressive eighth nightly series. On October 10th, Eric Anderson, 
E. Anderson 85 won his fourth nightly series. Nice, Eric. Way to go. And on October 11th, Gloves 1010, Colin Anderson won his fifth nightly series. Five. Man, we, some of these guys are really uh, killing it here. Four and five, that's, that's impressive stuff. Absolutely. And, of course, we had two international series tournaments this week. Oslo Berger, Tron Vidar Stensby won his second international series. Nice. And just because he has not won enough, Doug Drabeck, Megara 44, won his first international series. I knew it was going to be a problem when we said that you didn't have to be an international player to play in the international series. It's true. You can play even if you're from the U.S. of A. And uh, you do get a ticket to that tournament of champions that month. So I can see why they're in there. Good for Tron Vidar, who's been uh, a champion in the, um, in the international series as well. That's great. Uh, so what else is coming on uh, down the pike? Anybody? I know, Rob, we've got the uh, new Short Stack Ninja. Is it, is it November 4th, the first Wednesday the first, in November? It should be yeah. the first Wednesday of November, yes. That's going to be great. And uh, we'll, we'll just take our time with that. I think it's, it's built for rabbit holes, like you said, sir. So I think there's no, even though it's a short book, it won't surprise me if we take some time getting through it. Yeah, we might, it might take us to the end of the year to get through it. Because <laughs> we do have a propensity to go down a few rabbit holes. <laughs> I've heard that about this crew. <laughs> Anybody else? I know, um, Andrew, we're switching our format from having these uh, live learning with partners every two weeks to having um, you, you've put together kind of a curriculum of some of these clips that we'll be sharing every week. Um, and if people are really enjoying that, reach out to Andrew on Twitter and uh, let him know or make DM him in the site and we can set up uh, maybe like a monthly live opportunity for people to look behind the counter and stuff like that, which could be fun. Sorry, yeah, please. just go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, no, uh, you can either get get a hold of me at, at Andrew on the Rec Poker Forum, uh, Rec Poker Forums, uh, or you can find me at uh, feist.andrew412 on Twitter. Uh, so that way, you can, if you want to see anything, anything extra, anything more, like we want to set something up, or people want to see something on some of the sites of the affiliates we work with, just hit me up. Let me know. Otherwise, yeah, once a week we are releasing the, uh, the same kind of content. Uh, it's good stuff. Take a peek at it. And I'll, I'll just add in, in member land, um, you know, we're still uh, going through our October um, seminar, which is multi-way. And then we're gearing up for our November one, which is all about mental game. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited for that. I think it's going to be a different format than something we've done before, but something that a lot of people have asked about. And um, I think it, sh it should be a good topic for conversation. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Well, if, if no one else has anything else to add, I'm going to take advantage of Steve's not being here to thank Sean and Don for these lovely poker-themed plates that I've got up behind me, a late birthday present. That's right. If you send me free stuff, we're going to shout it out on the podcast. And um, other than that, I'd like to thank Running Aces, Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. I'd like to thank Website Amp, Learn Pro Poker, Andrew Feist, Chris Jones, Rob Washington, John Somsky, and Chris Fox Wallace. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week.